0: This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. Okay, just going to (sighs) record. Okay. (sighs) And that is producer Mark Bramhill recording himself. It is Monday, November 7th, 2016. So what's happening here? Where are you? What is going on in this tape?
1: Uh, So I was getting ready to go to IBM's headquarters in San Jose, California. I was going to give this presentation to about 20 people. I'm way more nervous than I thought I would be, (laughs) but it's happening. So I'm just going to practice running through uh, the little planned script I have. So tell us what this presentation is about. So I was getting ready to make a presentation for something that, if it was approved, would be used by millions of people all around the world. It would change every last cell phone, tablet, and laptop all around the world.
0: All right, I'm sold. What
1: is it? Okay, so it was a proposal for a brand new emoji. You know, those little pictograms we use to text each other, the thumbs up, the woman dancing, or the little yellow faces that smile or wink or they wear sunglasses.
0: (laughs) Okay, I know what an emoji is, Mark. Geez, I'm not that old.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, you can do this. You can do this. (laughs) You sound so
0: nervous.
1: (laughs) Uh, I know. It's uh, really, really embarrassing. Okay. I'll let you know how it goes.
0: Okay, so before you tell us what your emoji was and whether it got approved, I feel like we should start with something like...
1: Why what? Why am I doing this whole thing?
0: Exactly. Why are you doing this whole thing?
1: <laughs> right. So creating an emoji, it was not something that I actually planned on doing.
0: But you do cover this stuff. You have a podcast called Welcome to Macintosh. You cover things like the intersection of tech and culture. And so this seems to be part of your
1: beat. Exactly. And, you know, I think emoji, they're kind of right at that intersection. They've become this really interesting part of the way that we communicate. They're this kind of universally spoken language of pictures. But going into all this, I didn't really know that much about emoji. So I reached out to Jeremy Burge. He's the creator of Emojipedia, My job is keeping on top of
2: any new emojis and sort of documenting how they change over time. So for a real quick sort of history lesson on emoji, they started in Japan in the 90s.
1: The first set of emojis was designed for a Japanese cell phone company by this guy named Shigetaka Kurita in 1998, when texting was still really new. There's only 176 of them, and they were 12 by 12 pixels each.
0: So that's really low res for an emoji. That's super low res.
1: Yeah, but these were like the first images that could be sent via text message before photos or anything like that.
2: If you see the Japanese ones, they've borderline no no resemblance to what we see today. They
1: were sort of very basic abstract pixel art. So these super low res emojis became really popular in Japan. And quickly... Almost all Japanese text messages became dotted with these cute little pictures. But they were still only available on Japanese cell phones. And depending on which carrier people in Japan were using, these emojis could be different from phone to phone. I might send you the
2: hamburger and you might get the poo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It seems like in our modern world of computers, this should not be happening.
1: Right. The reason that this was happening was that when different cell carriers in Japan added these images for their customers they encoded them differently.
3: So let me take just a minute to explain what a character encoding is.
1: This is Mark Davis.
3: Every time you see a character on the screen on your mobile or laptop, it's always represented internally by a number. So there's some number associated with the letter A. So the problem in Japan was that the companies weren't coordinating about
1: what emojis were assigned to what number. So one company might have the hamburger encoded as 46,790, while another carrier would have the poo encoded as 46,790. So when American cell phone companies decided that they wanted to enter the Japanese market, they knew that they needed the coding for these emojis to become standardized, and they turned to Mark and his organization. A group called the Unicode Consortium.
3: I'm the president of the Unicode Consortium. Uh, We're people behind the curtains, making sure that everything works. Kind of like plumbers, you know, you don't notice them as long as the water keeps flowing. They're doing the 99% invisible work of the internet, if you will.
0: (laughs) I guess I'll allow (laughs) it.
1: So the Unicode Consortium had already been working on standardization for a while. Not with emoji, but with Text. The consortium was founded back in the early days of the Internet when there was no universal standard for encoding
3: text or anything else you saw online. People at the time were really used to getting emails uh, or looking at websites and they would see just jumbled up garbage on the screen because it was the wrong encoding.
0: The Internet used to be so ugly. Like when you were a baby, <laughs> you, you don't even know. The Internet was terrible then.
3: Yeah,
1: I've, I have heard stories. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, Unicode, they were founded to help with that. Most of their work has to do with language. You know, making sure that even little-known languages are legible across different websites and platforms.
0: And that seems totally fair. That Make the World Wide Web worldwide. Make sure everyone can be represented.
1: Exactly. And ultimately, Unicode became the be-all, end-all text encoding standard. So since people
0: were already relying on Unicode to standardize text encoding, they thought, why don't we get these guys to do emojis for us too?
1: Yes, yes, precisely. Though when Unicode was first approached about emojis in the early 2000s, they weren't interested. They thought that these cute little pictures... They're probably a passing fad.
0: I think we were all kind of hoping and praying for that. No, (laughs)
1: Robin, no. Emojis are here to stay. (laughs) And five years later, around 2006, Unicode realized emojis were not going anywhere. So they decided to take on the project of standardizing them. So they looked at all the different emoji that had been created by the Japanese carriers and sorted through them to establish an initial core library. So what was in that original set of emojis? It was kind of a hodgepodge. You know, two camels, uh, four mailboxes, five trains.
0: (laughs) Well, you need two camels because you got the one hump and the two hump.
1: Yeah. It's important. (laughs) It's really important. And so once they had that core library, Unicode decided that all additional emojis should be considered very carefully and voted on and approved by Davis and the rest of the consortium. No more two camels slipping through the cracks.
3: Each emoji that we encode, we really have to think, does this sort of break new ground? Does it? Is it go in a new direction? Is it going to be extremely popular? Because we know that faces, for example, are very popular. You know, that hearts are very popular and so on. So we try to weigh all these factors when we pick a set.
0: So these guys really do pick all the emojis that are on my phone, that they, they are the ones who decide.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So four times a year, Unicode meets to consider all the proposals they have for new emojis, and they are the final say in which ones are approved. And once an emoji is approved, it never goes away. Emoji (laughs) can only be added. Once an emoji, always an emoji, you know?
0: And so who comes up with these new ideas for emojis? Like, who gets to submit proposals?
1: So I had this question, too. And I asked Jeremy, the guy from Emojipedia, and this is what turned this story from idle curiosity into a year-long journey. For the proposals, like who is actually responsible for bringing these emoji into the world? Literally anybody, anyone on the
2: planet, you could send a proposal in right now and Unicode would look at it and there's a chance that it could become an actual emoji.
1: So, so like, I could do this. Like I could send, I could send a proposal in. Yes. So of course, when Jeremy told me that, I knew that I had to submit a proposal for an emoji. Of course. Yeah, clearly. What better way to understand the process than to go through it myself? But I didn't really have an idea for what I wanted to propose. So Jeremy gave me a few basic guidelines to think about. You should be
2: trying to prove there's already demand before you got
1: involved. Don't start a petition and generate demand. He said that Unicode wants people writing proposals to cite evidence of demand, like Hashtag usage on Twitter or Instagram, or Google search trends. He also said that my proposed emoji should be visually distinctive.
2: If it looks the same as something else, it doesn't matter if it means something different. Emojis about what they look
1: like. But it can't be too specific. Like, it can't be for this one really specific kind of dinosaur or whatever. And at the opposite end of the spectrum, it can't be too vague. You know, if your emoji was just dinosaur, you might need more specificity, like, T-Rex.
0: Well, it's a pretty fine line, but I, I think I get it.
1: Okay. Another thing, they don't want to add an emoji that's potentially just a fad.
0: Right. I, I get that. So you don't want an emoji of like a, I don't know, like a fidget spinner or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fidget spinners, who knows how long those will be around. You also can't submit logos or brands, specific people, deities,
2: etc. Superman and Batman, Uh, Starbucks. And those are just not going to be included. They have to be generic.
0: So there are already like a few thousand emojis,
1: right? There's 2,666 as of of recording,
2: but...
0: (laughs) Well, there you go. So if you're not going to do Batman and Superman, what doesn't exist
1: yet that you could actually propose? So I actually asked Jeremy this, uh, what do people really, really want? And this is what he told me. So there
2: is a yoga because it's a popular activity that a lot of people around the world do. And if somebody decided to submit yoga and or meditating, I think that would be quite the winner.
1: So, I'll be honest. I had never done yoga. I had never meditated. (laughs) I didn't have particularly strong feelings about either one. But I wanted to pitch an emoji. And this had good odds of being approved, so... Namaste, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went I went full namaste on this. Uh, started doing all kinds of research about yoga and meditation. Did you know, for example, Roman, that there are 35 million Instagram posts with hashtag yoga compared to hashtag running's paltry 31 million? <laughs> well, clearly that
0: means there has to be an emoji for yoga. So right. What would you use to represent that?
1: So I actually decided to go with an image that I felt represented both meditation and yoga. A person in lotus pose.
0: And that's the one where you sit cross-legged and you have your hands like face up on each knee, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The sort of famous cross-legged sitting pose, yeah. And so I found some clip art on the internet to illustrate what the emoji might look like. And in the end, I put together this eight-page proposal to submit to Unicode. I felt pretty good about it, but I wanted to run it by someone who had actually gone through the process.
3: My name is Jennifer a. Lee, and I successfully um, proposed a dumpling emoji.
0: Her middle name is actually the number eight, which is so cool. And she was actually in an episode that we did about fortune cookies a while back.
3: Yeah,
1: and she actually successfully made a fortune cookie emoji as well. Anyway, back in 2015, when Lee was working on getting the dumpling emoji added into Unicode, she learned that Unicode is this nonprofit but it is controlled by a small handful of tech companies.
3: You know, at that point, had 11 full voting members that paid $18,000 a year to vote. So of those 11, eight of them were U.S. multinational tech companies. So it's Oracle, IBM, Google, Apple, Facebook, Yahoo, Microsoft, and Adobe. So those were the eight. Of the other three, they were the German software company SAP, the Chinese telecom company Huawei, and the government of Oman.
0: Did she say the government of Oman?
3: (laughs) Yeah, because
1: remember, most of what Unicode does has nothing to do with emoji and mostly to do with encoding language on the internet. So the government of Oman is there to advocate for greater Arabic language support on computers.
0: Oh, that makes total sense.
1: Yeah. And now Lee is a part of the emoji subcommittee with Unicode. She can't vote on which emoji get approved, but she is able to help novices like myself navigate the difficult path to emoji land. So I showed her my proposal.
3: It looks pretty solid. Yes. But I think your emoji characters are a little bit ugly.
1: No.
0: (laughs) Well, you did use clip art, man.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, fair, fair. Probably not the standard of emoji characters. So I don't know where you got them, but you might do them in more of like either the Apple style or more of the Google style.
1: She was right. I my design was not great. So I ditched these clip art images and hired a professional, a woman named Afi Messer, just so that my case would be stronger and Unicode would have a better idea of what this emoji could look like. I polished up my proposal, named it Person Meditating, and submitted it right at the deadline. And then a few weeks later, so I'm just coming into the studio now. I just got an email from Unicode. Let's see. Let me load it up. It says, the emoji subcommittee has decided to forward your proposal to the UTC. The document number will be L two slash sixteen dash two seven nine. Regards, UTC. All right, all right, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo.
0: So that sounds like good
1: news, but what does that actually mean? It basically means that I got through the first round, that Unicode was going to hold an official vote on my emoji. And at this point, you know, you can sit back and see what happens. Or if you are extra excited, like I was, you can actually (laughs) show up to a quarterly meeting of the Unicode technical committee and present your proposal in real life.
0: And so that brings us back to you being super nervous before your presentation back in November.
1: Right. Right. Okay. It is Monday, November 7th, 2016, um, and today is the day that I'm presenting to the Unicode Technical Committee. But before we get to that, I want to talk about someone I met while I was there in the Bay Area. She was also there to make a presentation to Unicode. Her name's Rayuf Alumedi.
4: My name is Rayuf Al-Humadi. I'm 15 years old.
0: She's 15 years old, like in high school, and she wrote up one of these proposals like you did.
1: Yeah, believe me, this is no small task.
4: I have never written any proposals whatsoever. The closest thing I've done were uh, lab reports and science class.
1: But for Reeve, this whole thing just had a totally different level of importance.
0: You mean that some people do this not just to make a cool radio story out of it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you know, because emojis represent culture. And just like it matters to see a representation of your culture in television or movies, seeing yourself in an emoji can feel important in the same way. I mean, humans all over the world send something like six billion of these little things to each other every day.
0: Totally, they're everywhere.
1: Yeah. And so... In the last five years, Unicode has tried to represent more people by adding characters with a range of different skin tones. They've added some gay characters and a few gender-neutral, androgynous ones as well. But there was still no one that looked like Rayouf, because she wears a hijab.
4: I felt like, you know, it would be nice for me to see, have an emoji of myself on the keyboards that I could use.
1: Ryu felt like her emoji would help other women who wear hijabs feel more represented in mainstream culture.
4: Even though it is something small, I think it will, um, you know, just normalize the hijab.
1: You'll definitely be, definitely be the coolest, like, coolest kid (laughs) ever.
4: I'd, like, if it does pass, I just told my friends, we're going to have to celebrate. Like, I'm going to bring cupcakes of the emoji to school for everybody, even for the teachers. Because it would be something so amazing if hopefully it does pass.
0: Well now I'm totally rooting for Rayouf.
1: <laughs> they can choose more than one Roman. You can root for us both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if it's between you and her, it's definitely her. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so Rayouf and I were both presenting to Unicode on the same day. Uh, I'll be presenting at two.
4: Oh, uh, uh, I'm presenting at eleven thirty. Okay, so okay. I'll miss you then. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. When it was my turn, they made me turn off my microphone. So, I don't have tape of what I said. But basically, I gave a little spiel about why the world was in dire need of a yoga emoji. (laughs) I got a few laughs, some nodding heads. It lasted about five minutes, and then I took a few questions. After it was over, I stood there kind of waiting for some indication of whether, you know, the committee liked it. And did they like it? They wouldn't say. (laughs) Finally, someone told me, basically, you need to leave so we can vote. (laughs) So... I left, and I just figured that they'd be in touch soon. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so
0: if your emoji is approved, then what happens next?
1: So even though I submitted this really beautiful visual for my person meditating emoji, it's really more just to demonstrate what it could look like. And ultimately, if the emoji is approved, Google and Facebook and Apple and all the other platforms will get to decide what exactly person meditating looks like and their own platform style. So I talked to someone from Google about this.
4: My name's Rachel Bean. I'm a creative director at Google on the material design team. But she has another title, too. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, I am also, funnily enough, the creative director of Emoji uh, at Google.
1: Once Rachel Bean and her team get the list of new emojis and their codes from Unicode, They'll design the images to be used on all of Google's Android phones.
0: And what kind of guidance do they get from Unicode about how to
1: draw them, how to make them look? Right. So they don't actually give them all that much. Um, They give them the name of the emoji and a few keywords of things it might represent. You know, occasionally they might give a little bit of guidance of, you know, the bagel emoji, it should be drawn sliced so that people won't confuse it with the donut. <laughs> right. So,
0: so that makes it so that Google emojis look different from Apple emojis and they look different from Twitter
1: emojis. They're all yeah, really different. Yeah, exactly. Characters might be facing in a different direction or have different outfits on or maybe dance in another style. But they should all illustrate the same basic concept. And recently, Rachel Bean and her team at Google have redesigned the entire library of Android emojis. For all the emojis that weren't just disembodied faces, the team had to deeply consider all the clothing and accessories that they were wearing. Because they're designing for a global audience. Take, for example, the farmer emoji.
4: Originally, we had designed the farmer emoji very American Gothic style. So, you know, a pitchfork and wearing overalls. But a lot of farmers all around the
1: world, they don't actually use pitchforks. That's kind of an old and very American characterization.
4: And also the overalls, to some degree, weren't necessarily the outfit that most farmers globally wear. So we changed the actual prop that the farmer was holding into a grain. um, So to really put more emphasis on what's grown universally versus tools that may not be universally used. And this
1: kind of global inclusivity is the same stuff they'll have to consider with the emoji
4: that I proposed, you know, of the person meditating. What will it wear? Like, what's the color of the clothing? Is he or she, are they going to be wearing uh, leggings, a leotard, a t-shirt?
0: You know, it's good that they're thinking about this, but the Google designers are never going to really be able to fairly represent all
1: cultures. Right. And Unicode is this governing body with a bunch of representatives, but they're all mostly from these big tech companies. And so this whole system, it kind of irks people. It's not a good system. (laughs) You shouldn't have to ask these people's permission. This is Keith Winstein. I'm Keith Winstein. Uh, I'm an assistant professor of computer science here at Stanford. And he says, you know, if there is not an emoji that represents you or your culture, Unicode's process for getting one is not exactly quick.
4: So having to wait, you know, two or three years for it to end up in the standard, and that's a long time. It
1: doesn't take quite that long anymore. It's closer to one or two years. But still, Winstein points out that there are already platforms like Slack that let you take an image and make it emoji-sized, where you don't need to go through Unicode.
0: Yeah, totally, because uh, Kurt Kolstead on our staff, he does this, and he makes a little emoji for every episode, and we share it when the episode comes out. And it's just a little picture. It's not really an emoji.
1: Exactly. And so there is no special encoding process required to make them. This is a much simpler way of doing it, rather than trying to cram everything into Unicode. And... Even though I think Winstein gets at some really important criticisms, if we went to a system where we really just sent tiny pictures, then the thing that I really love about emojis would kind of be lost, which is that they've turned into this sort of universal standardized language of pictures. Like the idea that some stranger in Argentina and I are both sending a heart eyes emoji to express love, I think there's something really cool about that.
0: I mean that is a nice quality to them that they're universal. So, um, so what happened with your meditating person? You must know by now.
1: So for a few days after my presentation, I still hadn't heard anything, like no email thanking me for my proposal or letting me know when I'd hear back or anything like that. It was just total radio silence. And then I was just scrolling on Twitter. Um, so I just saw that Emojipedia has a. Uh... Tweeted about some of the new emoji. Let's see. I'm opening up the page. Person with a beard. Um, star eyes. Zebra. Giraffe. The hijab emoji passed. That's really cool. Um, not seeing mine. Uh, serious face with symbols covering mouth. Face with open mouth vomiting. Ooh. That's... Um, person in steamy room. Person climbing... Person in lotus position for yoga and meditation. That's right passed. <laughs> All right. There we go. So that's it. Yours passed. And more importantly, Ryu's <laughs> passed. That's so great. Yeah. Both of ours were accepted. And I am super excited about it, as you could probably tell. So they, they changed the name of mine from person meditating to person in lotus position. You know, Unicode really likes the specificity of these <laughs> things. And... As of now, we're recording in August of 2017. It's not on your phone just yet. But person in lotus position, the hijab emoji, and all these new ones should be on your phone by the end of the year.
0: So when you get the person in lotus position emoji on your phone, you can think of Mark and how he doesn't even like yoga.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's, that's the thing. I actually have started doing yoga and meditation. Uh, It's one of the many things that came out of doing this story for me. A huge new appreciation of yoga and meditation.
0: Well, that's remarkable. Well, then namaste for real then.
1: Namaste, Roman. You know that just means hello, right?
0: More emoji talk after these fine people pay for our listening experience. Raised hands. Support for 99% Invisible comes from Sonos. My favorite piece of architecture is a home filled with music. When you have a Sonos system, each room has its own soundtrack. In my case, I have uh, punk rock showers, uh, Hamilton score for dinner. Sometimes it's Sufjan Stevens for dinner. Uh, Podcasts are really good with dishes, and it's all controlled by one easy app. Sonos makes my house 100 times better. For the first time ever, Sonos is offering the listeners of 99% Invisible 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code INVISIBLE10, that's INVISIBLE10 at Sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer. 99% Invisible is brought to you by Adobe XD, the fastest way to turn your best ideas into beautiful experiences. User experience design is an industry filled with a variety of problem solvers, people with varied backgrounds and education who enrich UX design with their different points of view and empathy for users. Heather McGaw came to UX via photography and industrial design, but then really fell in love with UX research and warns designers of the dangers of not doing the proper research
3: sometimes when we're not doing the research
4: we can start to solve problems that like we wish were problems because they're easy to solve (laughs) (laughs) we kind of can impose our wishful thinking onto
2: people uh, which can lead to sort of weird band-aid solutions i think that's a big risk
0: visit the adobe xd blog to explore how design solves problems how to do good research and heather's advice for designers starting out Go to adobe.ly/uxirl. Together, Current by GE and J.P. Morgan Chase are transforming <laughs> by using sensors to make businesses more and for Chase customers. That sounded confusing because you don't have all the information. If you want to harness all the hidden potential in your building, you need Current by GE to gather that information and make decisions. So picture this, lighting is already everywhere. So Current by GE piggybacks on that existing infrastructure, adding sensors to light fixtures that can collect all kinds of data about the building. Then they analyze that data to uncover new information to make things run more efficiently, like selectively dimming the lights in certain areas or controlling the air conditioning. The lighting system becomes the nervous system of a building. With Current by GE, J.P. Morgan Chase is reducing their branch's consumption of light-related energy by more than 50%. That's equal to taking 27,000 Cars off the road every year. To learn how to capture value hiding in the walls and floors and ceilings of almost every type of building, go to currentbyge.com.
4: Our female dancing bunnies versus our male dancing bunnies, we made the decision that they're wearing the exact same outfit. Men get the skimpy leotard just like the ladies. Really, gender, a lot of it is a social construct, and if we're trying to be more universal, it's it's sometimes good to eliminate some of the social constructs so it doesn't feel super resonant for one culture over another.
1: Yeah. Also I just have to say that the men in dancing men with bunny ears is one of my favorite emojis at this point. But
4: (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I love that we kept the man wearing little a little leotard instead of putting shorts on him. That was one of the the best moments in my career. (laughs) I'm kidding. But, it, I, but I do think it's great. I do think it's a great decision that we
0: made. 99% Invisible was produced this week by Mark Bramhill with Katie Mingle and Avery Truffleman. Mix and tech production by Sharif Youssef. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder, Melodium, Lollatone, and Sean Rial. Our digital director is Kurt Colstead. The rest of the team includes Delaney Hall, Emmett Fitzgerald, Taryn Mazza, and me, Roman Mars. This story was adapted from Mark's podcast, Welcome to Macintosh, where he's currently airing a multi-part series on emoji. It goes a lot deeper than we could fit into these 25 minutes. So if there are things you're still wondering about, you know, emoji related, they're probably answered in this series. The first episode is out now. You can find it at Macintosh.fm or wherever you listen to podcasts. And the show has lots of other episodes about design and technology that you beautiful nerds are bound to enjoy. Go check it out. We commissioned original emoji art from Kara Rose DeFabio that tells the complete story of this episode entirely in emoji. You have to see it. It is at 99pi.org. And finally, thanks to Rishikesh Herway for explaining to us on the Illusionist podcast what namaste actually means. I heard it. It's a joke. We are a project of 91.7 KALW in San Francisco and produced on Radio Row in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. 99% Invisible is part of Radiotopia from PRX, a collective of the best, most innovative shows in all of podcasting. We are supported by the Knight Foundation and coin-carrying listeners just like you. You can find the show and join discussions about the show on Facebook. You can tweet at me, at Roman Mars, and the show at 99pi.org. We're on Instagram, Tumblr, and Reddit, too. But our fabulous home on the internet with more design stories than we can ever tell you in audio form is our website at 99pi.org.
4: Radiotopia.